0: Hey there, Quiet Rebels! So before we jump into today's episode, I want to let you know that this is brought to you by my Ultimate Podcast Guesting Workshop Series. So if you'd love to be able to have the exact know-how to book yourself onto line Podcast to Grow Your Business, this is the workshop series for you. This follows my Pitch with Purpose framework, which is the holistic process of podcast guesting so you can really get a lot out of this visibility strategy that goes beyond landing x amount of interviews so if you're interested in learning more head on over to makeasang.com forward slash upg to find out more and now back to the episode hello my lovelies this is make Sang, your podcast guesting strategist and mentor cat lover and the proud host of the quiet rebels podcast This is the place for experts on the rise who are finally ready to stop playing small and to start showing up as the leader they've always been. And contrary to what you might think, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. You've always been the type to see things differently, and you've always chosen another pathway if the one laid out in front of you just doesn't align with your way of life. You're not alone in this. So to help you on your journey, I'm bringing conscious conversations to the table with myself and guest experts who will help you with the inner work that needs to be done in order to make a positive impact on the world with what you do. I see you. And now it's time to hear you, my friend. So please welcome to the Quiet Rebellion. Hello, my wonderful Quiet Rebels ooh, today's conversation is a pretty damn interesting one because we've heard several guests on the show over the course of the last two years to talk about money, whether it's money mindset, money archetypes, pricing, how to handle cash flow in a pandemic, but we've never touched on this idea of money trauma. And I'm super excited to have today's guest who is a certified facilitator of money trauma to talk about her perspective of what it's like just to kind of like have her idea of money like really be impacted from her past experiences, and there are so many things that we can learn about ourselves based on how we view money as we're well growing up. So please join me in welcoming the wonderful Pauline Manda. So Pauline, welcome to the Quiet Rebels podcast.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, McKay, for having me. I'm so so excited to be here. I've been following you for over a year now, so this is a little bit unreal for me. Oh Bye. wow,
0: <laughs> I'm blushing. Thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, for sure. So I'm Parleen. I am a South Asian millennial money coach. I work specifically with women of color from immigrant upbringings um, to really understand their emotional connection to money and really gain their gain confidence over their finances. Uh, my money story really started when I was 16 years old when. We almost lost my childhood home, the one I'm actually in right now, when I'm talking to you. Um, and at the time, since I was the eldest daughter in an immigrant household, I was responsible for translating what the bank representatives were saying to my parents. So I was obviously very overexposed to adult financial matters at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And that experience taught me, you know, lack of money meant lack of power, control, and safety. So that means if I had money, I had all those things, right? And so... 10 years later at the age of 26 I built myself a six-figure net worth and I'm really on a journey to help others do the same because um, I think there lacks a representation when it comes to in the personal finance space of women of color you know doing big things um, and really building that yeah financial safety net for themselves.
0: Oh there's so much to unpack here and I must say everybody please go to Pauline's website after this interview because when you go to her about page she talks more about that story and that really reeled me in and I can really relate to kind of doing the whole translation thing because I'm also a a child of immigrant parents and um that language barrier can sometimes mean that we step into like premature adult shoes and it's like oh like I don't know what they're saying Like, I don't know what this means, but I'm going to try my best to directly translate this and see what I can do. And it just, it's very, it definitely feels very premature. So thank you for sharing, like, just really how you got into this. And I would just love to know, um, yeah, so what is money trauma? Because Mm. we don't take the word trauma lightly in this space. And I'd love to hear specifically how, how how we may have experienced money trauma and how that actually impacts our relationship with finances.
1: Absolutely. So, money trauma is essentially any experiences in the past where, um, I guess, specifically around money, situations that became too overwhelming to handle and you lost trust. Trust, whether it be in yourself, the world, certain people. Um, So, trauma in itself, we can think of as a a wound, right? An unhealed wound, right? Um, That impacts how we respond, how we can, you know, Uh, resource ourselves, all these things. So again, that idea of trust in the world or trust in yourself is really important. Um, And when I say trauma, it doesn't have to be, you know, a big big event. I think when we think trauma, we think a a giant, like, you know, something that's bigger, but it can be as small as, you know, maybe when you were younger, you went to the grocery store with your parents and they didn't have enough money at checkout to Mm -hmm. pay for all your groceries. Even just that experience, you could even like remember sort of the, um, the embarrassment or the shame at the time and that's something that we can carry on as trauma right maybe when you're older you overspend on food right mm-hmm. because you lack that choice growing up so again it doesn't have to be a big thing it can show up um in a, even these small experiences that only after reflection do we see hey you know what? something something's impacting me here from that time oh this is
0: uh this is so interesting because how these experiences, they can manifest into behaviors that do the exact opposite, yes. right? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I'm curious, like through your work as a certified money um, trauma facilitator, like what have been the most common beliefs that you've seen showing up in your clients over and over again?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think the big one is it's shameful to talk about money, but specifically money struggles. Um, A lot of um, clients I work with, again, are from an immigrant upbringing. And again, if you don't um, relate to or identify as that, I think uh, there's still value in this conversation because maybe you still experience with your own parents. Um, You know, even if you were struggling or a parent's struggling financially, if there was a wedding or some sort of birthday bash or whatever it might be, they didn't hold back on sort of the extravagancy of of the gifts, right? Because they didn't want to appear like they didn't have money at the time. It's all about this idea of, in a way showing face Um, and for me and specifically my culture is like that idea of the big fat indian wedding right Mm. like a lot of parents and families go into debt over these things because again what will other people think Mm. right specifically around money and so what i see with my clients is you know this idea of okay we can't have honest conversations around money Um, we can't admit that you're struggling And so we continue to, in a way, self-sabotage by saying yes to outings or events and whatnot because we don't want to, A, be left out, or B, you know, God forbid anyone sort of questions our sort of financial uh, state at the time. So that overspending definitely sort of um, gets triggered from stuff like that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I can feel like a lot of resonance here so you can definitely tell yep i'm pretty sure i have quite a few money trauma stories and oh yeah especially they're not feeling left out you don't want people to know what you're going through Mm. so just just say the whole idea of saving faith is very apparent in Hong Kongese slash chinese culture as well so it's like oh yes i feel you
1: (laughs) no for sure yeah it's it's so, yeah, that, that phrase, what will other people think? It's just, it's it's stuck in my head because I've heard mm. it so many times growing up and so yeah. have a lot of my clients, I think. So, um, yeah. yeah. And I think in addition to that, another one is, again, being children of immigrant parents, our parents kind of left their countries, came to a new country and worked very, very hard to obviously build life's, uh, life here for ourselves. Um, and so this idea that money is hard to make, but also harder to keep mm. is another belief that I see um, again, specifically with the clients I work with, but again, you may be able to relate to this as well, right? My parents worked two jobs each, right? And it was still this idea of just kind of scraping by in a way, right? And that's very stressful for myself to think about. Um, and I know making your parents, I think own a restaurant, is that correct? Um, um uh, still a food outlet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so again, you, witnessing again, just kind of putting those long hours over my might yes. be. Um, And so, again, even as young professionals, when we get into the workforce, this idea of, like, oh, money is hard to make it harder to keep, we may have that sort of subconscious um, desire to just overspend. And, yeah, we don't really have anything at the end of the day in our bank accounts because we're not really keeping track, um, and this kind of belief that it's hard hard to keep um, kind of influences our decisions around that.
0: Mm. Absolutely. So when we become aware of which – which events have created a money trauma, a wound of sorts, what can we do to kind of help ourselves to heal from it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think one thing I would recommend doing is, one, um, specifically journaling around this question, um, what is sort of a past experience around money that, or a memory around money that was painful or confusing?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: then how do you view money today because of that experience? Maybe you view money as something that's unsafe, that's limited, right? Uh, whatever it might be at, uh, make sure we that we get bring that awareness. And the third step is, how are we showing up today with money because of it? Right? And so again, that example of you know being in the grocery store, and witnessing our parents not have enough money for 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 everything it's yeah this idea of overspending on food when we get older right and so really intentionally kind of going through that thought process of like what was the event how am i viewing money specifically how's my behavior and money today because of it um and i think even just that is a very powerful reflection on its own that not a lot of people are doing because again we're not taught to think about money that way we think of money as something cold and hard and cash and all that not necessarily that's emotional
0: Mm, that's so interesting and as you've worked with your clients like what have you found to be the most common resistance to doing this work because you know money narratives that we keep has kind of like kept it's it's kept us alive until this point with regards Mm -hmm. to our spending. So I'm just curious, like without, you know, no identifying details, of course, but but, um, is there any like resistance or blocks that people tend to come up against as they're doing this work?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is shame. Mm. Um, It's really identifying the shame, like, oh, my God, I didn't know I was doing this, but how could I be doing this? Stuff like that. And that's where I take a step back and I'm like, hey, look, this is just all information. We want to view it from a lens of curiosity and not judgment. Mm. And so I think just even stepping back from from that lens of, oh, how could I be doing this and really identifying ourselves as that? Um, you know, it, it doesn't serve us. And so I always like to add in that perspective, like, hey, it's just information. Take from it what you want, right? Take from leave whatever else behind, take from it what you want, right? It's like, oh, I'm avoiding my finances because of this one memory, right? Awesome. Leave the rest of it behind right now let's work with that um so I think that's that's commonly what I see is just um that shame factor pop up for my
0: clients mm. oh I can imagine and I like that yeah. just like viewing it through the lens of curiosity and not judgment because it's very easy to judge ourselves um, especially when we're doing this this deep work and yes so that's the resistance so when people have kind of come out the other end through this process what has been the most liberating feelings that you've been seeing as
1: well? Yeah, sorry, I'm so, I'm smiling because like it's <laughs> yeah, I so see exciting to <laughs> see clients like transform this way. Oh man, what I what I love the, the most, and I see it throughout my clients, is just this renewed sense of belief in themselves to manage their finances and be resilient no matter what comes their way. And so I actually love it when during our three months working together, you know, something happens that was sort of unexpected and we weren't really planning for so that I can help coach them through that experience to be like, hey, is this is going to be happening, you know, moving forward no matter what. Um, but even just to kind of see how quickly their sort of mindset changes, of, okay, and I had to do this, this, and this now uh, before they would have, you know, either used a credit card or done these things and felt really guilty. But, you know, we were able to sort of like, put a plan in place pretty quickly because they now have the tools and the information to act differently. And that's another thing I always tell my clients, like, again, related to shame, how you were behaving with money before this served you in a way, right? Because again, you were just doing what you thought was right or what helped you feel safe at the time. Right. That's, that's that behavior. And so you didn't have the information or the tools to act any differently, but now you do. Right. And so again, that perspective of what was in the past in the past looks viewed from lens of curiosity. But moving forward, we now have this wealth of knowledge that you can apply in any situation. So
0: Mm. that must be so rewarding to see that for sure. Absolutely. And I know that you do work in you know, one-on-one and group capacities. So for, for anyone who's just like interested in knowing kind of like what your process is like, do you have a step-by-step process or framework that you follow that you can share with us briefly today? So in case someone's interested in this work that they know what to expect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, um It's a three-month process, regardless if it's group or private. Um, I take you through a similar framework for both. It's just sort of the level of access to me um, differs between the two. Mm -hmm. Um, The way I view it is sort of like my four E's of financial wellness. So the first one is the financial edit, where we do reflection on your past spending um, and just kind of where you are today with your finances. And so really get at gathering the numbers and getting a holistic viewpoint where you are. The second one is uh, sort of the financial education part. So this is where we talk about strategy, right? How do we reduce debt, increase your wealth, all these things? That's where I apply that, as well as sort of uh, my sort of strategic, quote unquote, budget. I I like to call it a strategic spending plan instead, because I think the word budget is a little little bit (laughs) overused. And the third one would be emotional exploration, which is my personal favorite. This is where we do the deep dive into our past money traumas. Um, experiences and beliefs around money. And so I strategically place it sort of third, because I think it's very important that we kind of get the tactical strategy in first um, and have you sort of, again, build that evidence that things are changing. And then we can kind of introduce um, and explore that That aspect a lot further. And last one is just empowerment, right? It's like the idea of like, what's next for you? How do we build that resilience? How do you kind of keep going even after our time together? What does that sort of master plan look like for you? um
0: so yeah that, those are essentially the stages that you'll go through love it and uh i do love me some uh what are they called you, you know those models with like the three c's or the, or the four yeah. e's in your case <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. sometimes yeah. i forget what they are but i love what you just said about how you kind of start with a tactical first because it's kind of like building that that frame right um that exactly. we learn to live under and then the the second the sorry the second half of the two e's it's more about maintaining that like like keeping it strong and it's like yes I agree I agree to create this on my own terms and here's how I can emotionally handle it and tactically handle it so I love that for sure so it's it's one thing to share the framework and I'm just curious if you'd be open to sharing like perhaps like one story um whether it's about a client or like a or you know from your own experience perhaps or kind of like what it's like to see that those four E's like happen in real time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I one of the clients, I won't say her name, that comes to mind. Um, she was actually an immigrant herself. So she actually to immigrate from India to Canada. And, and her story always uh, resonates with me the most because when she came to me, she was very, I guess the word I'll say is just tight and wound up around money. She had a hard time letting go of it. There was past trauma of witnessing her parents lose wealth in India And so that anxiety around even spending money on herself existed, within investing existed. Um, And so she was just constantly stressed out and overthinking around money, which some of you might relate to, right? That might be where you are today, which is just like, um, yeah, having a tight grip around your money and it's just not sustainable, right? You're unhappy and that anxiety um, is a lot to deal with. And so for her, I sort of opened with, again, the strategy. I showed her, hey, this is where you are today, and you're actually doing pretty well, right? And so she was unnecessarily, in a way, and I use that word lightly, like hard on herself. I was like, oh, I should be doing better. I'm like, hey, look, let's look at the numbers, right? This is pretty damn good, right? It just means you make a tweak here and there, and that's where I implemented the strategy, and that's where one thing that I will say is automate wherever you can, because... Um, For her, she was constantly kind of going in, making transfers and doing these things and sort Mm -hmm. of, um, and for me, I'm like, that's mental energy that you could be using elsewhere, right? So let's automate these bills, these savings, debt, all that. And so that's one small tip I'll throw in right there as well. And then the third level is obviously that emotional exploration aspect, right? When we dove into, you know, what did her caregivers teach her about money? What did her dad, in this case, she had two parents, her father teacher her mom what were those uh, narratives like right and really unpacking those and that for her was sort of like the eye opener right she was like i didn't realize hey my mom was doing this thing and i'm actually doing the same right and so that i think was the catalyst to kind of keep to shift her mindset around money in addition to the evidence of the you know the strategy and all that that was the biggest change and now she'll message me on Instagram, like, Hey, I started investing. And before, you know, this whole thing freaked me out, but now she understands like the game. She understands the education. She understands her emotional reaction and she knows how to sort of work through that on her own. So she was like, this is so easy. I didn't expect it to be so easy. I'm like, I know, but (laughs) again, it was, we had to go through that work together. Right. Mm -hmm. In order to make money one enjoyable for her. Um, but also something that she felt, you know, competent to handle on her own.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I can see that the common theme that's running through the work you do is like helping people to really understand themselves and help them to be self-sufficient so that yes. they can be independent and just really not having to rely on anyone else to help them manage the things like, oh, no, I got it. <laughs> like, I'm, I've yeah. got the rhythm now. Whatever happens to me, I know what to do. Absolutely. Love that. And this is like a side question. And I was just thinking about it really Um, as someone who helps people work with their money. Do you ever find that it's a bit difficult uh, to ask people to invest their money in helping them manage their money? Oh
1: (laughs) yes. hundred (laughs) percent. Okay. Like a thousand percent.
0: So what do you do in in that case?
1: (laughs) For sure. I think for me, it just, it's a perspective shift, Right. I understand for any program, putting up, you know, an investment in yourself is scary, especially, especially since the audience that I um, work with might already have a hard time and sort of letting go of their money, have that anxiety around money, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's just a perspective shift of like, okay, what have you tried on your own? How long have you been struggling? What would it mean if in three years you were in X place, right? With this investment. You know be worth it at that time mm-hmm. and so that's just how I sort of navigate those conversations um because hey if you've been struggling with your credit card debt it's been five years and you just haven't been able to crack it on your own um hey I'm here to help right we can get you you to x place in 12 weeks how amazing would that be right so it is it's like it's the biggest irony there is right Which is like <laughs> invest money in yourself to get better at money um but sometimes, again, having that guidance, that accountability is such a game changer. And I think what I'm really proud about in my program is I don't teach you just how to budget. There are multiple, multiple layers to this. And I think we've already talked about as well um, when it comes to that uh, mindset pers- uh, shift as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, because whenever I've looked at working with money coaches before, I look at this FAQ section. I'm like, oh, I, I wonder how like they have to work so much harder. <laughs> like. like for people who are already, you know, a little resistant with their money anyway. Yeah. Like, oh, so props, props to you all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you've been doing this for quite some time. And I'm curious, like what, I know you mentioned at the beginning for your story that you really wanted to help others, um, especially women of colour and children of immigrants um, who've been in your shoes, essentially, to do this for themselves. What made you want to kind of really... what's the word I'm looking for elevate your credibility even further by actually becoming a facilitator of this work
1: yeah for sure I think for me it was the idea that with money we all know the right things to do generally like Mm. pay off debt save for your future delay instant gratification stuff like that but so many of us struggle to implement that Mm. advice and that for me was the disconnect I was like hey how do I how do I bridge that behavioral gap right it's not just here's how to pay off your debt and you know make a budget there was an aspect that was missing for me and so when the opportunity came up to enroll in this program called the trauma of money um I I jumped at it because I was like this is exactly what I'm looking for and I think it honestly has um changed the game in terms of my business and also just um the service I provide my clients so
0: mm. oh yeah like I, I feel a similar way but not with the uh, money trauma but trauma in general like becoming trauma sensitive as a leader that's been extremely important to me because the missing gap yes. for me invisibility is like ah there's no there's not a lot of narrative around acknowledging potential trauma that can be mm-hmm. like re-triggered by showing up because that could feel dangerous to somebody oh you know? yeah I felt yeah. that Oh, I love that. I love that you've got the money realm, I've got the visibility realm. We we're like back to back here. like, yep, you're kind of <laughs> this piece of stuff going on here. Let's do the work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, with all of your work that you've done so far, what have you found to be, if you say like three to five of the most common problematic narratives that you see around money and spending? Like, what would you say? For sure. Be?
1: I think the biggest one I see is is consumerism at work. And what I mean by that is this idea that if I am experiencing an unpleasant emotion, there is a product or service I can buy to fix that, right? So this idea that whenever we're feeling just a little bit uncomfortable, um, or again, low, whatever it might be, uh, spent right the whatever it might yeah so that that one is probably the most probably problematic one i see because how do we reclaim that ability to feel good and at ease outside the narrative of consumerism that is what i think i enjoy the most working with my clients around is just understanding you know what are the certain triggers or are those times of day or the week where they feel you know a certain way emotionally and that's when they have that desire to you know uber eats or head online and start shopping what's going on for them emotionally at that time Mm -hmm. so that we can address that and put alternatives in place. Um, And I think another thing is also understanding what results are you looking for when you go and purchase that random Amazon purchase, Mm -hmm. again, in this emotional state that you might be in, right? And could we do something else or implement something else into your life um, to give you that same result without actually spending any money? And most of the time, the answer is yes, right? And so I think for me, that, that, um, narrative consumer is probably the, the biggest, um, uh, I guess a like problematic, um, uh, narrative that exists in that realm. And I think in addition to that, it's also feeling guilty for spending money on yourself, mm-hmm. um, especially as women, especially as women, sees a lot, feel it myself. It's, a, it's basically a trauma response, um, where, you know, I feel safe and I feel worthy when other people around me are, are safe as well. And so if that means they need to borrow money for me, if that means I need to reduce my prices so that they can take my offer, whatever it might be, I feel that obligation to do that. Um, because again, it's like this idea of like, oh, we need to look out for others before we look out for ourselves.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Right. So um, again, another narrative there as well.
0: And is there one that's closely connected to that to kind of like round off a trio here?
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the last one would just be um, if you're someone that has debt that you are quote unquote bad. Like, I I don't know. There's just such a narrative, a negative um, sort of shame culture around carrying debt. And again, when when I talk about debt with my clients, I always ask this question of like, hey, was it you know, one event or one thing that led to this, or is it just a slow sort of buildup over time? And usually it's a slow buildup over time. Mm. Right. And I'm like, Hey, so what purchase were you able to get this? Like, Oh, this emergency flight to see my parents when my dad was sick or whatever it might be. And I was like, awesome. So it served you in a way, right? Like this past purchase served you in a way, let's thank you for that. And now move on from it. Right. Versus viewing it from the lens of like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that to myself. Why would I? I'm so stupid or whatever it might be. My friends don't have this debt like I do. Um, it's really understanding that at some point in time that that debt or using that credit card served you. Um, and we tell yeah, again, thank be thankful for it, but also sort of move on and put other strategies in place where we make you debt resilient. I call it.
0: Ooh, I really like that term. <laughs> yeah. Ah uh, yeah. I'm sure that regardless of whether someone who's in the audience is a child or an immigrant like we are, or even if they're not, I feel that like this is something that applies to so many, if not all of us. So uh when you said consumerism, I, I just I just it makes me think back to all the times where either myself or someone I know has jokingly said that they're going through something difficult in their life. It could be like a breakup or a bad day at work or something like that and am like ah, retail therapy <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and they they shop to buy things to make them feel better and yeah i'm just like oh how normalized that has become
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's on yep. purpose from you know all of these retailers who are obviously preying on these vulnerable states that are in and Absolutely. so okay so if we're talking about becoming if, if we're just looking at the consumerism angle is there any like just like top of the head like advice you would give to someone to help them become more resilient to you know to not look at all these sales i need to buy now because those countdown timers you know the delivery will be free after midnight so
1: yeah for sure yes (laughs) um my biggest thing would to be um to check in on your emotional state before you click buy Hmm. game changer are you just bored Right. Are you just tired and stressed from the long at work? What are these emotions that are coming up for you? Right. And so I always teach my clients again, it's okay if you buy the thing, but let's just make sure that the intentionality behind it was, you know, well thought out and you gave your time, that, that space to think about it. So, um, so I would say, yeah, check in on your emotional state and then give yourself at least 24 hours, I would say. And I know it's hard in some, some cases, I know it's hard. <laughs> to uh, you know sort of pause and reflect on that purchase before going through with it because again in 24 hours like your most state might have totally shifted you may have even forgotten about it or maybe you still want it right and if the case go for it right because at that point you've you've given it some thought um it stayed on your mind whatever it might be and so like absolutely that's a guilt free purchase in my mind
0: so. mm. well I really like this because I remember that when I was taking a workshop to kind of like debro or debabe our, our marketing, right, as online business owners, the one thing that we talked about was giving people time because, uh, mm. you know, to make a, a buying decision or, you know, investment decision. And one of the things that came up that was really important is to encourage critical thinking. So that's essentially what you're like telling us to do is like, you know, check in our emotional state. So we're not just being reactive, but we're actually being responsive to our, mm. our needs. Instead of like mm-hmm. reactive to something that's suddenly come onto our plate, because yeah. it's very easy for our states to slip into being really susceptible to all these marketing tactics. And I'm do- yes. I'm talking about marketing because you know we're business owners, no, yeah? like said, yeah. <laughs> like on, on these calls. And I just think that um, it's really important to kind of like acknowledge that the more time we give to something, the more secure something feels as like a decision that's actually based on a need that we want to fulfill, as opposed to a, a pseudo need <laughs> that mm-hmm. seems that seems to be something that we quote unquote need, but actually just a, it's a temptation. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's like, a, it's like a siren that <laughs> is like coming to, yes. a sending siren. That's what they are. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All of these offers and services. Um. So I really like what you said there. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, probably this has been such a good conversation, and I know that there are so many different directions that our listeners are probably going in right now, like what money trauma may i have or who is it created by so if we were to just kind of sum it all up into just like one thing that we can do for today what would you say
1: for sure i would say um journal the one question which is what's the money memory that's painful or confusing how are you showing up with money today because of it? Um, and lastly, how do you view money today because of it? So again, the idea of is money unsafe, limited, whatever it might be. Um, I would be very curious from your from your audience to hear what those reflections would be if they want to reach out to me on Instagram, which I know we're going to get into where <laughs> they can find me. Same um, nice question. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would I would love to hear it because uh, I think it's it's a it's a really powerful um, activity to do.
0: Mm. Oh yeah, that that's a really great like where like. As queer Rebels, we do like journaling and we like reflecting. So I'm Absolutely. sure that there'll be some responses there. So where on Instagram can we find you? And where yes. else may we want to connect with you, especially if someone who is listening right now, you know, wants to work with you?
1: Absolutely. So on Instagram, my handle is at perween.mander. You can find me there. Come say hello. Um, also, my website is linked to my bio, but it's uh, www.thewealthywolf, with an E at the end, .ca um and like my said like go on the website there's a ton of information there about my story my clients what i offer um but i do offer one-on-one private coaching right now i actually do have uh two slots open uh for the remainder of the summer um if anyone feels so inclined um we can always hop on uh, a 10-minute chat to kind of see where you are today um and if we're aligned to work together
0: Perfect. So I'll make sure to pop all of those links into the show notes. And I'm always, I've always been curious, and I want to ask you while we're right here. So I'm going to kind of like interject with my own normal question I ask at this point. So why did you call your business the Wealthy Wolf with an E? Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> um,
1: for me, uh, one around my room, there's a painting of a wolf, and wolf everywhere. Uh, for me, it's the duality of the wolf um, that I've always related to. There's sort of like that strong, independent lone wolf idea and then there's that one that's sort of part of pack and part of a team mm-hmm. and all that and I feel like as a daughter in an immigrant household that that encompassed my identity where it was sort of this idea of like looking out for myself but also my family myself versus my family and mm-hmm. so I've always just sort of yeah, been enamored with that with idea around the wolf um and I I hesitate to say spirit animal because I want to be um really cognizant of of you know the first nations culture and stuff but it's again it's just um an animal that i resonate with
0: oh i really love that idea and it's so it's kind of like the the coexistence of the two roles of a singular being it sounds like exactly
1: yeah
0: i love it and why the e at the end or is it just because
1: oh honestly i think it was because of like seo or like (laughs) someone already took the like the wealthy wolf or something like that i had to add the e in um and
0: that was funny because I felt like it also kind of made it more feminine in a way so <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah why not and yeah I really love that idea so thank you for sharing that with us I've just always been curious about it and now yeah we now we all know <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all right so far i have got two final questions for you before we wrap up mm. are you ready yes so number one is what makes you a quiet rebel
1: yeah I I love this question because I think initially I thought I wasn't one, but then when I reflected, I was like, you know what? I am. Um, I think for me, when it comes to my content, when it comes to, you know, the work that I put out, it's not about calling out, you know, the traditional finance industry as it is. I do that sort of subtly, subtly through my content. Um, and I think that's what resonates with my audience and that kind of what, what draws them in uh to follow me to be part of my community and all that so um i think in that aspect i'm sort of leading a
0: quiet rebellion on my own um so yeah (laughs) oh i love it and actually as you were speaking for some reason this visual just popped into my head um about what it what i personally feel that quiet rebels are because you said that you're not you're not pointing fingers at what's wrong in an industry per se. Like you kind of are, but you're not. <laughs> it's like a yes. silent middle finger. Too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's indirect. So no one yeah. really doesn't know. But yeah. it's kind of like I thought this like very um, linear space, basically. Um, yeah. Just like how w- if we have blinders on, we can only see one amount. And A Quiet Rebel, in my opinion, it feels like releasing that blinder and just witnessing what like how much open space there is for other things to be and it's Mm. about the coexistence of these spaces and not taking over an already existing space it just feels more expansive that way and
1: yeah
0: um yeah so to all the quiet rebel who are listening all the guests who've been on the (laughs) show like this is what we're doing you're just expanding spaces and allowing the coexistence of different perspectives because not everyone is going to agree with each other and that's the point with you know that's that's the beauty of like having diverse opinions and and the diverse experiences and stuff so i just love how your approach is something that we obviously all advocate for as quiet rebels mm. so thank you. <laughs> thank you and finally if this is your first time listening to the quiet rebels podcast my lovelies you know you don't know what's going to happen next but if you are a frequent listener you are you do know what's going to happen so Pauline, you are in our guest chair today and so When everyone hears the sound, it means it's time to ask our wonderful guest this question. And that is, what is one weird fact or a fun story about you that no one else knows on the internet?
1: For sure. Um, For me, I think it's interesting since now I'm so visible, let me use your your term there, Um, Instagram (laughs) with my reels and the talking and stories and all this stuff, Um, doing workshops, I was actually a mute child until the age of five. I didn't speak. I was very quiet. Uh, my cousins were, were always concerned about uh, about me. I'm like, hey, is she okay? Would she be able to communicate and stuff like that? Um, I think I was just a really shy, a shy kid. Um, and it's more so over the years where I was able to come out of that. But I think it's always surprising for me to think about, given where I am today and sort of and how comfortable I am with just connecting with other people and all that, that at one point in time I was actually uh, very quiet and very shy to do those things. Um, again, using that that term of, of a mute, because apparently I wouldn't speak. So um, yeah, that's, that's my story.
0: Wow. Oh, that's very interesting. And thank you for sharing that. I'm sure that was a personal thing. And um, well, I think I could speak on behalf of everybody who's listening right now that, you know, so grateful to have you come in and speak to us about something that I'm pretty sure does affect us all to some degree so just thank you for your wisdom your stories and your experience I've so appreciated having you here
1: awesome thank you so much McKay it was it was a great time being here today thank you
0: And so my lovely, there we have it. So everything that we mentioned in today's interview will be popped into the show notes. So be sure to head for that link. And if you haven't done that already, I would so love it if you could subscribe to this podcast, because that way you don't miss a single episode and another conscious conversation. And of course, if you feel cool too, I would so appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review, because that really helps other quiet rebels find us. Oh my goodness. Okay, another great episode. And so I will be back, same place, same time next week for another episode of the Rebels Podcast. So until then, my lovely, do take care and bye for now.